Acts chapter 16 tonight. Acts 16. We'll be going through the whole chapter tonight, and I think it won't be super long. We'll see what happens. I don't like to say that normally, but uh, this is one of those sermons I feel like I can get through uh, fairly quick. But uh, just a reminder of where we left off. Paul and Barnabas have now parted ways. Uh, they had their disagreement uh, over John, Mark, and some things, and it caused them to just kind of move on and from each other. And then they had that council at uh, Jerusalem where they came together, uh, just dealing with certain doctrinal things. And then Paul, after that, you know, he decided he wanted to go back and he wanted to visit all the church where he had been before because they were wanting to confirm those churches. They wanted to strengthen those churches. So uh, he is now on a trip where he's basically going places that he's gone before. And when you stop and think about it, that was a pretty bold move because as we've been going through Paul's journeys, uh, he typically makes a lot of enemies places he goes and gets himself in a lot of trouble. In fact, we're going to see here, he's getting ready to go into Derby and Lystra, which is the place where he had healed the lame man, where everyone started worshiping him. And then when he refused the worship, they ended up stoning him. So imagine going back to a town where he had been stoned before and and so, and just understand too, because people knew who he was in these towns, you know, he pretty much kicked things off with having enemies. And so there was just a lot of, uh, a lot of horrible things that the apostle Paul went through. And it's just an amazing testimony what he did for the sake of the gospel. That's just kind of, that's the kind of heart he had. He loved souls more than anything. And so uh, we see, we're going to see a very well-known story in here, you know, where he goes into jail. Uh, but let's, we're going to go through the whole chapter and point out some very important things. But verse 1 says, Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish, but believed, but his father was a Greek. And so it would appear, based on how he stated this here, that his father is, not only is he Greek, but he's probably not a believer. And, as, and so... Um, I think that's probably the case too, just how it's worded. And we also see too that Paul told Timothy that, you know, he was able to uh, learn, become wise of salvation through the Holy Scriptures taught to him by his mother and his grandmother. And thank God that we, there was a woman who, even though she didn't have a saved husband, she was able to pass these things on to her children. And Timothy was greatly used of God, was a great help to the Apostle Paul. And so verse 2 says, talking about Timotheus, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So Timothy, he had proved himself to the church. And so it says him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters for they knew all that his father was a Greek. Now this verse right here, is one that I've heard people kind of debate over and speculate on. I'm just going to give my opinions when it comes to this here because, I mean, was it really necessary for Paul to circumcise Timothy? I mean, obviously that's not a part of salvation at, at all, but it says that he did it because of the Jews. Now, here's, here's the question that came to my mind when I first looked at this, and I'm going to show you there is a clear difference because... Uh, I think one of the reasons he probably did it is maybe he just didn't want to deal with, you know, fight that battle of explaining Timothy, you know, whenever, because uh, one thing we're going to see when we get to chapter 21 is the Jews in Jerusalem, especially, they were accusing the apostle Paul 
of teaching people to forsake the law of Moses. And so people, they had a lot of problems with Paul. And the Apostle Paul, he really had a heart for the Jewish people, and he doesn't want to give offense to the Jewish people. So I believe that was why he circumcised Timothy here. He's probably just thinking, you know what? I don't want to offend the Jews. I don't really want to fight this battle with them right now. And if I'm traveling around with this guy who's half Jew, half Greek, which we're already going to have a little problem with, and then they find out he's not even circumcised, the Jews are just going to have a fit, and I just don't want to deal with that battle. I'd like to preach to them. So that very well may be why he decided to do this. And I don't think it's necess- it was a sin for him to do that because, again, he just doesn't want to give offense to the Jews. You know, And Paul said, we looked at this last week, to the Jew, I became as a Jew. So I think that was part of it. But then the other question comes up, so what's the difference between what Paul did and what Peter did? Because remember we talked about that last week. While Acts 15 does not record the story, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul talked about how he withstood Peter to the face. And we're not going to take the time to go read that story, but why did Paul withstand Peter to the face? It was because Peter was eating with the Gentiles, but then when the Jews came around from James that were the ones that were teaching you have to keep the law of Moses... All of a sudden, Peter starts withdrawing himself from the Greeks or from the Gentiles to appease the Jews. So, you know, why was it okay for Paul to appease the Jews and circumcise Timothy and it wasn't okay for Peter to appease the Jews? Well, I think the real difference is because we're not to give offense to the Jew the Gentile, the church of God. And so understand, when Peter all of a sudden is withdrawing himself from the Gentiles to please these Jews, well, guess what? Now he's just offended the Gentiles. Where the Apostle Paul, when he just circumcised Timothy, nobody's offended. So I think that's where there was a difference. If we want to justify what Paul did uh, versus what Peter did, what Peter did would have been an offense to the Gentiles and it was sending a wrong message to the Gentiles. And so I think that's where there was a difference. And so, but I also believe, and again, this is my opinion, but based on the lesson we did a few weeks ago, remember how we kind of showed a progression chronologically with how Paul spoke of the circumcision, how it got worse and worse, and how he finally got to the point where it's like, circumcision is nothing. So I, and remember these things, the, the things of the Old Testament, they didn't immediately go away at the cross. The, the Jews and even the saved ones were hanging on to a lot of these things. And it was a, it was a process of, for them to figure out that, you know what, we don't need these things anymore. They didn't understand these things overnight. So, in my opinion, I think if this would have been later in Paul's ministry, he would have just told Timothy, don't even worry about it. That, you know, that's my opinion. They can deal with it. You know, after he just got tired of fighting those battles and stuff. Because the thing is, too, it, it never would really help trying to appease them. They were never satisfying them. So that's just, that's just my opinion about that. But I, I think one of the reasons Paul did that here, this was, this was still earlier in his ministry. And again, we are still at a point where none of Paul's epistles have been written yet. So if you see him speaking a lot you know, more strongly against all the, you know, the circumcision and all that, Again, his feelings are changing as God is revealing more, as he's learning more, as uh, he's getting more experience in these things. So these aren't contradictions. It's just they figured things out over time. And that's been a very interesting thing to just watch as we've been going through the book of Acts. So uh, in my opinion, 
I don't think Paul would have done this, had Timothy do this later in his ministry, but I, I could be wrong. Verse 4 says, And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And that was those decrees that they said that while you don't have to get circumcised, they said, you know, you need to abstain from fornication, things strangled, pollutions of idols. And they wanted them to do those things again because they didn't want these Gentile Christians being an offense to the Jews because they're trying to go to all these cities where there's synagogues, where there's Jews that are reading from Moses they're wanting to go tell them that Jesus is the Messiah. He came and he fulfilled all these things. And they didn't want the Gentiles, you know, uh, the, maybe who might be these people's introduction to Jesus being a bunch of, you know, bloody meat eating, you know, fornicating people. And again, those things don't make you saved. But you know what? When you are when you're committing some sins, you're going to be a really sorry testimony. You're not going to be an effective witness. And so a church and we're going to talk about some of these things Sunday night, all right? Be ready for Sunday night because uh, we're doing real hard preaching Sunday night and we're not preaching on anybody else's sins, all right? You know, we're, you know, we're, we're talking about us Sunday night, so buckle up, all right? You know, and uh, we're going to preach to the audience that can actually take me out and do something to me, all right? Instead of people who aren't here. But, you know, we're going to rip on sin and churches have a responsibility to do that kind of thing. Because we've got to keep the leaven out. We've got, we've got to keep that out. It will ruin our church if we allow sin in there. And so we're not adding to the gospel when we preach against sin. We're not legalists. We're not teaching work salvation. But we do have to have works in order to be effective in advancing the kingdom of God. We do need to have works if we're going to bring forth fruit. So uh, these decrees that they gave, they were from Jerusalem... And they were expecting these independent churches to follow them. Now, some might try to take this and say, well, this, is, this proves, too, we should have some kind of, you know, Vatican, some kind of pope or something like that. You know, what are, these, what are they doing in Jerusalem telling the other churches what to do? Well, these were the apostles, okay? And remember, we've been saying this before, and I'll say it again. I still think we're under apostolic authority because we use their writings, we use, we use the Bible. They didn't have the completed scriptures back then. So what did they do? They followed the instructions that the apostles gave. So the apostles gave them these instructions. And I believe all the churches back then should have followed those things. And I believe we should follow those things still to this day. Uh, and so while we don't have living men that we would call apostles walking the earth and in some central location, you know what? We do have the writings together in a book. And so this is our Jerusalem council. This is our apostolic authority. It's all here in this book and we can follow it as an independent church. So that's one thing too that changed because again, not everything just became like they are today overnight after the resurrection. Things, uh, they, they take time to, to happen and to be established. And so verse five says, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. So this verse, too, is further proof that the term the faith, it's not always about salvation. Okay? The faith, a lot of times people, too, they'll see verses about people departing from the faith and say that proves you can lose your salvation. No, the faith, it's about doctrine. It's about practice. It's about all the things that the Bible teaches. That's what it means. You know, we are of the Baptist faith here. 
And we and it's sad when people depart from the Baptist faith because uh, there's a lot of teachings that come with being a Baptist, and we want people to hang on to those things. And so, but understand, even saved people can depart from the faith, and you can get involved in false doctrines, you can get involved in false religions, and you're not going to lose your salvation, but you're not going to be effective for the cause of Christ. You're not going to bring forth fruit. So, um, but the the way they use that phrase there the churches were established in the faith they were strengthened okay if just the faith means you got saved how do you get strengthened and established in your salvation i thought salvation was an event i thought salvation you know was being born again i I didn't you know we don't believe that salvation is some process that we got to go through and hope that we complete it you know before we die or jesus comes back you know it's so uh this is proof that you can't just see that phrase and people do that whenever they want to try to start proof texting you, showing you can lose your salvation. They'll single out a bunch of verses where it just it's talking about the faith, showing people leave that, and then proving you can lose your salvation. And those do not prove that. And here's this is just one of many examples of that. So it says in verse 6, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not, and they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. Now, why would the Holy Spirit stop them from preaching in Asia? I mean, isn't this a good thing? They want to go to Asia, they want to preach there, and the Holy Spirit's not letting them? Now, should we just go pulling some extra thoughts and things out of here, not based on anything? It's just like, God had a big problem with those people in Asia, there was something wrong with them. I mean, what, what's going on here? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 9 says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So I don't think there was any special reason that the Holy Spirit didn't let them go into Asia, except for the fact there was a need in Macedonia and God wanted to make sure they went there. That's pretty much all there was to it. So we don't need to pull anything extra out of that. They needed to be in Asia during that time. And, you know, I think, too, and I've talked about this before, I think we should always prioritize places that want to hear the truth. I mean, if you've got one place where they're not interested and they're wanting to fight you every step of the way, and you've got another place where they're begging you to come and preach, you know what? I'm going to go where they're begging me to come and preach. You know, we go out door knocking all the time here, but occasionally, occasionally I get phone calls from people, you know, wanting to visit, having questions and stuff. Man, I go to those places right away. I mean, it's not even a question. Do I want to go knock on the doors of a bunch of people that aren't going to be interested, probably don't want me to come while I've got somebody calling me saying, hey, can somebody come by and talk to me? I had a, I had a call a few years back from a guy who's like, my wife died. I'm searching, trying to figure some things out. I was wondering if somebody from the church, the pastor could come by. I went over there that day. You know, when some when you know somebody's ready to hear, you know, you rush to those places. And so, uh, and again, too, when people are looking for the truth, God has a way of getting people to them. Everybody's always worried about those people that nobody's reaching. But I'm telling you, people who want the truth, we've been seeing that throughout the book of Acts, like with Cornelius, like with the Ethiopian eunuch. We see this cry from Macedonia. Uh, I mean, it's, it's clear if people want the truth, God has ways of getting people to them. So it says in verse 11, 
Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to, to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And I want you to notice how the Bible singles out this woman here who worshiped God. And I, I believe Lydia is an example. And we've been talking about this too. Because everybody likes to figure out, you know, the nanosecond of when somebody gets saved throughout the Bible. And it's sometimes hard to identify that. But at the same time too, we understand that before the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, there were people of faith. There were people who were saved. There would have been saved people all over the world. There were Jewish synagogues all over the world where they were preaching the scriptures or they were, in, uh, they were reading the scriptures that, where there would have been people of faith. Now, obviously, everyone has to accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And I believe that people who already had salvation, when given the truth about the Messiah, they would accept him. But we see, too, that there was a lot of people that were Jews that clearly weren't of faith. You know, they're like the ones that Jesus talked to where he said, you're not even Abraham's children, you know, because you're, you're, not, you're not like Abraham. And those were the ones that were always rejecting him. But we see this one, it doesn't mention that she got saved, but it mentions how she accepted these things and was baptized because she was already a worshiper of God. And so the thing is, there weren't going to be any saved people that they were, you know, God was just going to let them not find out about Jesus, that the Messiah came. They were going to get to him. And so I do. I believe she was somebody that was already saved. I think that's what we have too when we, uh, we haven't got to him yet. But when we see Apollos, they saw him preaching, knowing only the baptism of John. So he didn't have full information yet. But he clearly was a saved guy. He was a mighty speaker. But what happened when they told him about Jesus? Because he was saved, he ate it up. You know, he accepted it right away. So that's what would happen when they would come across saved people who hadn't heard about Jesus yet. Because just because they were saved doesn't mean after the resurrection of Christ, they were downloaded with all the information about Jesus. That, you know, they had, you know, obviously somebody had to tell them. And I think Lydia is another example that we see of that uh, along with some of the others that we have seen and will see. But verse 16 says, And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And so it would appear that while what she said was true. So you ever read that and thought, well, what's wrong with this? I mean, it's true. They are servants of the Most High God. They are there to show the way of salvation. But it's, it's clear from the scripture, Paul's being grieved by her following him around doing this. And I believe she's doing it in a mocking way. Now, today, 
what we would call this is trolling. That's pretty much what she was doing. She was kind of trolling them. And, and have you ever seen people do that where they're pretending to be one of you, but being over the top, being obnoxious? We, we call that trolling today. And so I think this is an example of that. And Paul knew she's possessed of the devil. She's doing this in a mocking way. And it says in this verse 18, and this did she many days, but Paul being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the ruler. And this is a reminder to us that people like fortune tellers, soothsayers, whatever, they're all either tricksters and frauds or they're possessed by a devil. So if you find somebody that actually can tell the future and stuff like that, don't get impressed. They've probably just got a devil. So either way, they're bad. And if they don't have a devil, I don't really think these people are possessed. Well, then they're tricking you. Either way, it's all bad. It's no good. And so once the devil was out of her, the masters saw it and they're like, well, you know what? She's no good to us anymore. We're going to lose a lot of money. And so as a result, it says they brought them to the magistrate saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. And folks, right here is a great example of these men doing exactly what we talked about Sunday and following the pattern of Job. These are guys who they received good at the hand of the Lord and they received evil also. Just like Job, after receiving all that evil, went and he worshipped before God, we see that's pretty much what these guys are doing. They, they start singing praises. They're, they're praying. They're doing it. In a bad time, they're doing it after getting beaten. I'm pretty sure most people aren't feeling like getting beat or feeling like singing and praising God after getting whipped. But you know what? It's very possible that they may have, you know, may have felt like it just because of the fact they had so much faith that they probably remember the words of the Lord Jesus where he talked about, you know, blessed are you when you're persecuted. And that he said, you know, great is your reward in heaven. Jesus said to leap for joy. And, you know, sometimes we've got to force ourselves to do that stuff, even though we're not feeling it. And you know what? It's not wrong. Like we talked about that Sunday. There's going to be times you're not going to feel like it, but you've got to do it anyway. But the truth is, if we had enough faith, if we really, really, really believed it, I think we would do that. I, just like I tell people all the time, I would dig ditches for a living if it paid enough. If I knew the payoff was going to be good enough. And I think if we fully understood the rewards that we were going to get, for being persecuted for the cause of Christ, I don't think we would be crying when we're persecuted. I think we'd be rejoicing. But uh, that, that, that's what I believe. And so uh, either way, these guys did what you should do uh, in a situation like that. And so it says in verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed, 
And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out a sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. And, you know, they say that back then, if you let someone out of prison, you're going to end up serving their sentence. You know, you're, and this prison was probably so bad that guy was like, I'd rather be dead than to be in this prison. Or sometimes, too, that they would, you know, they would kill you. We see that's what they did. Uh, you know, we see them. Um, that's what they did when Peter got out of prison one of the times. Even though it had nothing to do with the guards, you know, they made, you know, they made those guys pay. And so this, uh, that was what they were going to do here. But notice verse 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And this here is just a great moment of compassion and faith by Paul. Because you know what most of us would have done? We'd have been like, oh good, the guard's going to kill himself. Now it's going to be easier for us to get out of the way. And I don't know, maybe that guard was, he might have been involved too when they were getting beat. That's what most of us would have done. Oh good, one, one less enemy. Oh good, when we were praying, I was doing imprecatory prayers against that guy. And you know what? I was the one that told him to go kill himself. You know, I'm glad he's finally going to go do it. No, that's not what he did. He, he, he stopped him. He said, we're all still here. Now, here's my question, too. What were they all still doing there? I mean, if all that would have happened, I'd be like, all right, the Lord's doing another prison break. He did it for Peter. He's doing it for us. Let's go. You know, so I don't know if all this just happened real quick. I don't know what's all going, all's going on here. But, you know, either way you look at it, it doesn't look like they're doing anything that, I was going to say me, most of you probably wouldn't have done. <laughs> no, me too. I, but it says in verse 29, Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And I love this passage because we do. We have such a clear question. What must I do to be saved? And a really clear answer. You know, he didn't give a super long, complicated, he didn't give a difficult answer. I mean, he made it real easy. And, you know, and, and you know, people wonder too, when the jailer said this, was he saying this about soul salvation or like, hey, I'm dead. I realize I can't stop you guys. from. Is there anything I can do to be saved? Some maybe physical salvation. Okay. You know, it, it could be both either way you look at it. But there's no doubt spiritual salvation is what Paul was talking about. And at the same time, too, it's very possible if he's listening to these guys singing praises to God, praying, doing all these things. You know, as the jailer, it's his job to keep him in there. But he's hearing all this stuff. He's probably, you know, maybe thoughts are going through his head. These guys don't seem like the kind of people we should have locked up. These guys are acting like all the other prisoners that come through here. Most of them, when midnight comes, they're all weeping and wailing. These guys are praising and shouting, and they're probably singing about salvation. They're probably talking about salvation. And, you know, and, and knowing Paul, he was probably witnessing to other inmates that were there. And so when, I, when all this goes down, 
and he realized it's of God that he's done this, he, he might not have been thinking about physical salvation at all. He may have been thinking only about soul salvation at that point. But either way, the answer to Paul's question is clear. This is about soul salvation right here. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But you know what? He did get physical salvation too because he didn't get killed. You know, and look, let's keep reading verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates and the sergeants uh, sent the sergeants saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. Now, it's hard to tell from the story, but it would appear that the magistrates don't even realize that they've escaped. And it would also appear that they're back in jail. Now, this is another thing that I probably wouldn't have done. But, you know, after we went back to that guy's house, after he cleans our stripes, after we preached to him, after him and all his family get saved and baptized and everything, I've been like, see you later before they come looking for us. I hope you make it. You know, I hope, uh, I hope you and your family can find a good place to hide. But we see here that they're telling this jailer, let them go. And then he goes to them saying, hey, they're wanting to let you go. And verse 37, and Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned being Romans and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. So they're back in jail. And Paul's like, and, and, and I, I've got a lesson I want us to learn from this. Okay, we've been kind of just going through the chapter and looking at what took place. But now there's an application that I want us to get from this. There's something... Uh, for us today, I think something that we especially are going to need in the day and age that we're living in. Something that's very applicable to us. But notice here how the Apostle Paul, he, did, I mean, he had a huge problem with the fact that they were treated unlawfully according to Roman law. Not just the fact that they were treated bad because they were Christians. The Apostle Paul was well aware of the fact that, you know what, being a Christian is going to get you in a lot of trouble. A lot of people are going to be mad at you. But he was especially offended by the fact that, wait a minute, these guys didn't even follow Roman laws and customs. They beat us uncondemned openly while we're Romans. They didn't have the right to do that. You know what? Let them come get us. And he's, ba- you know what he's basically doing here? You know, he's kind of standing up for his rights. And you know what? Did you know it's not wrong to do that? It's not wrong to love law and to love justice. And obviously, you know, the law of our land is not equivalent to the law of the Bible. The law of the Bible is better. And we understand that our world and our government today, you know, they have a lot of things wrong. But you know what? It's okay if we get offended when they're violating the Constitution, when they're doing things that are that are unlawful, when they're doing things that are immoral. And the Apostle Paul... He did. He called it out. It shows he loved the law of the land and he loved justice. He's like, this wasn't right. So in verse 38, and the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And this should, this is what should happen to leaders. When leaders find out that they broke the law, they should be scared. And we live in a day today where politicians and our leaders they don't seem to care. They don't fear doing things wrong. I mean, look how many things that our governor has done that were 
unconstitutional, not just according to the United States Constitution, according to the Illinois State Constitution. He has had the judge overrule him on so many things, but yet all these things that have been overruled, all it did was it stopped him from continuing to do those things. Nothing has been done about the fact that he did all these things illegally for weeks and months and hurt a lot of people and destroyed a lot of businesses. Do you know what? We have the right to be upset when that kind of thing happens. And a lot of times too, you know, people don't get real spiritual whenever, you know, you get upset by that. Uh, things like that. Like, oh, you know, I don't know why you're worried about government things. I think politics, you know, why are you wasting all your time with politics? And listen, I get it. You can do that. But again, this is injustice. We're not supposed to just follow a multitude to do evil. And when the Bible says not to follow a multitude to do evil, it was specifically in judgment and how you treat the poor. That we're not supposed to just go along with bad things. And people should get upset when these kind of things happen. And the Apostle Paul did all the time. He was always making appeals and things. He was always fighting things in the courts, standing before kings, standing before judges, wanting to plead his cause. Now, it's clear from the Apostle Paul, too, I think most of the time when he, he, the reason he wanted to go stand before kings was not so he could try to get himself out of trouble, but so he could preach at the top guy. You know, that, I do think that was the big motivation. But he would use those laws to his benefit. And we're going to see more examples as we go through the book of Acts where Paul does that kind of thing. And so he, does, he, wants, to face, he wants to face his accusers. He wants to face these people. He's like, no, you guys aren't going to sweep this under the rug. You think you're going to go and you're going to break the law? You're going to beat us like that? This is against your own laws. And then you think you can just go and just send us away and nothing's going to happen? No, let them come. Fetch us out of here. That's what Paul did right there. And I'm showing you all that to show it's not wrong when people do that kind of thing. It's not wrong to get upset at injustice. It's not wrong. But, no, uh, but let's keep reading. It says in verse 39, And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. So these guys are scared. They're, they're scared. And they're pretty much just begging them, Please, just leave. You know, you know, we're sorry, you know, here, you know, here's a gift card to McDonald's or, you know, Starbucks, you know, you know, it's on us, you know, just please, you know, they're just trying to call me because they know they're, they're wrong. It's like the, you know, the kids, you know, when, when the kid hurts his little brother, he knows he's going to be in trouble with mom and dad, you know, so what does he do? He tries to make it up with them as quick as he can before mom and dad finds out. And what these guys did was wrong and they didn't want the higher ups to find out and they should have gotten in trouble for what they did. But they did. They're, they're trying to just rush them out of town. And then notice what it says in verse 40. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had sent the brethren, they comforted them and departed. And so the Apostle Paul, he had every right to be angry about how they were unlawfully treated. But you know what? He didn't waste a whole bunch of time seeking justice. He had more important things to do. You know, he, he had every right to call for them to come and fetch him out. He had every right to call them out for the laws they broke, for the unjust treatment. But at the end of the day, you know, they did. They just kind of pushed him out of there. They ignored it. And you know what? He didn't just hang around there. It's like, no, you know what? I'm staying in this city until I can go and I can make this thing right. 
I'm going to go and I'm going to make sure whoever the higher ups are find out about this. I'm going to make sure these guys get justice. And I imagine, too, their court system, it couldn't have been worse than ours today with how long everything takes. But, folks, you know, the last thing we ever want to do is just fighting stuff in court. It's, you know, I'm not saying it's wrong to go to court. Sometimes you have no choice. Sometimes you have to. But the amount of time and money that you can waste just seeking for a little bit of justice. And let me, and let me tell you, I am, I'm thankful. I am very thankful for people who try to keep our government in line. I hope they succeed. You know, I, I'm thankful for people that are just kind of activists in certain areas, you know, that are always trying to hold people accountable, that are keeping an eye on these things. I, I think there, there's a benefit. I think we all benefit from people like that. But at the same time, I will say, you know, I'm not going to speak for everybody in the world, but for myself, I feel like I have better things to do. Because at the end of the day, you know, I've been called into the ministry. I've been called to preach the gospel. And you know what? While I just don't want to waste a whole lot of time trying to just straighten out all our politicians, straighten out our judges. I don't like a lot of the stuff that our government did or our governor did in the last couple of years, but you know what? I'm not going to go sue him. I'm not going to go spend a lot. You know, I really hope Darren Bailey beats him in the election. I really do. You know, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to go vote for, for Bailey. I've got, even got to sign up in my yard, you know, call me whatever you want, Fox news, Baptist, whatever. But, you know, but at the same time, I'm not going to go ask Darren Bailey if I can go campaign for him. I'm not going to go knock doors trying to get people to vote for them. You know, we have better things to do. So again, we don't want to be go around being critical of people that are standing up for rights and that are fighting to keep these things in line. You know, we should be thankful for them. You know, I, I am. I, I hope they succeed, but I don't want to, I don't want to waste a whole lot of time. I think we have better things to do as a church, especially too. We don't need to get our church caught up in all these crusades and campaigns for things like that, we've got better stuff to do, you know. And so, First uh, Corinthians six seven says, "Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take the wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded?" And while Paul's speaking specifically about matters in the church, how he's saying you shouldn't go to the unjust judges of this world. You should be able to deal with things in your church. Well, that's what he's speaking of in context here. Notice how Paul said, you know what? You'd have been better off to suffer yourself to be defrauded, to rather take the wrong. And so we're not sinning when we allow ourselves to be wronged. So again, if there is some injustice that's done to me, if I get pulled over by a police officer and I feel like he just had it out for me because I'm a Christian and he heard something I preached and that's why he gave me a ticket... You know, even if that's true, I don't need to spend a whole lot of time, you know, seeking justice in that area. So I can get my $75 back or whatever. You know what? I can take the wrong. Now, if somebody else wants to do that to help keep police in line, I hope they succeed. I hope they win. I don't want police pulling people over because they got a personal vendetta against somebody. I don't want that kind of thing, but I'm not going to waste my time with that. Romans 12:19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And let me tell you something. 
The Bible does not tell us this. I'm not trying to add anything to the Bible. But I'll bet those guys who beat Paul and Silas, uncondemned, unlawfully, I'll bet God didn't let them get away with it. I don't know, that's just my opinion. But I'll bet they probably got what was coming to them eventually at some point. And you know, the Bible doesn't write about that. It doesn't need to, you know, because we know God's going to keep his promise in those areas. And who knows? Maybe those guys even maybe they did maybe they did get away with it. Maybe they got saved later on. I don't know. And you know what? If they got saved, Paul's the kind of person too. He would have been fine with them not getting in trouble. Especially considering the fact that God saved him after he did a whole bunch of stuff too. You know, and, and I have, I've often wondered too, you know, I'm, this is just me speculating again, but when you think about all the junk that Paul had done in the past before he got saved, if while he was suffering, if, I wonder if he ever just felt like, well, you know, this is me getting a taste of my own medicine. You know, and I think that's how, I, I think that's how we should all act when it comes to injustice done to us because we've all gotten away with stuff before. We've all done things that we probably should have, you know, gotten our backsides, you know, tanned or whatever, however you want to put it. And we didn't. And so when stuff like that happens, you know what we do? We take it. You know, we take it. But at the same time, too, while I do, I believe that's best. I believe that's the more Christian thing to do. We don't need to go around bashing people standing up for rights and things like that. They're not, they're not necessarily sinning and doing that. And many times, too, they're probably benefiting us. So, you know, I'm, I'll let them have their crusades, but, you know, that's not a crusade I'm interested in. So, uh, one of the things that we're going to see, the Apostle Paul was not afraid to use his Roman card when he needed it. And he valued it. And it is, it's okay for us to value our American citizenship we should stand up for justice in our country. We should stand up for right. It's never wrong for us to do that. But let's always keep our focus on the main thing. The kingdom of God, that's the, that's the main thing. That's our, that's our priority. And so as long as your, our priorities are right, you know, I think God, as he sees us advancing his kingdom, he'll take care of us where we need to be taken care of. But if we get too caught up and worrying about this earthly kingdom of America, we might not get as much help from God in that. So I, I want to stick with what's more important. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. I pray that this message was helped everybody. I pray, Lord, I thank you for just the great inspirational stories we have in here. I pray that we'll learn from the example uh, that we saw with Paul and Silas in jail, Lord. And I pray we'll learn from how they handled things uh, even after they got out of prison, uh, how they were able to just let things go and just walk away from... Uh, being treated wrong, I pray you'll help us to do that, to keep our focus on the things that are more important, and that is just your kingdom and winning souls. In your name we pray. Amen.